Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. And tonight on Fast, the nightmare after Christmas, airline stocks grounded, flight cancellations mounting from coast to coast, will break down the fallout for investors. Plus, retail rocking the holiday season, the strongest in 17 years. So do you stick with this trade as we head into 2022? We're going shopping for opportunity and later a fast pitch. One of our traders is throwing out his best idea why he thinks this chemical stock is a total home home run investment. Welcome to Fast Money. I am Frank Holland, in for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, Nadine Terman, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We begin with some big breaking news out of the CDC. They were just talking about it there on Closing Bell. Health officials cutting isolation and quarantine times for those exposed to COVID-19. The CDC coming out with some new guidelines, trimming isolation for those who have been infected with COVID-19 to five days from 10 If, and this is the big if, if they are asymptomatic, the CDC also saying people who have their booster shot do not need to quarantine following their exposure to COVID-19. However, they should wear a mask for 10 days after exposure. A lot to talk about now. Let's break it down and what this means for that reopening trade. Dan Nathan, your instant reaction to this late breaking news. Yeah, first things first, thanks for joining us, Frank Holland. It's great to have you on Fast Money, bud. Um, Listen, this is great news, I, I think, to the point that you know we've all gotten conditioned to the sort of lockdown, the, the quarantining, the, the sort of thing that has to happen when people are infected with this disease. And I think the good news is that our country is very well vaccinated at this point, and we're adapting to some of the new trends as it comes out with some of these new variants. So I think it's great news. I think going forward, um, you know, I will tell you the right now though, I don't think it changes much for Q4 GDP. We've already seen expectations for that come down pretty substantially. We've been living with this variant now for about a month. And you look at some of the the disruption that we've had as far as travel and hospitality over the last week, week and a half or so, that's not coming back. And I think so, you know, as we think about Q1, we're going to see expectations come down because the world, the rest of the planet, where a lot of our companies get a lot of their sales and earnings are going to actually have fits and starts with this thing. And it's going to last a while. So Q1 GDP is going to come down. So I think I'm not sure it changes a whole heck of a lot other than from a sentiment standpoint, businesses are still going to be really careful as it relates to their employees in the back to work. Yeah, right now we're showing some travel stocks right now. I don't know if you guys are watching the airline stocks. They're up fractionally right now and after hours. I'm not saying it's off of this news, but they are up after a very difficult weekend. Nadine, turning over to you. You and I were chatting earlier. I know you said a lot of investors are turning to the value trade possibly in 2022. Does this change your thesis when it comes to investing in the CDC guidance at all? Is it as big as we're making it out to be right now? Frank, I think it's really important what Dan said. Also, the fact that they're being data-driven. Omicron causes you know, fewer deaths, fewer hospitalizations, especially for those who are vaccinated and or have a booster shot. And so being data-driven is showing us that you can isolate for a shorter period of time, half the period of time. That's huge, right? 
And so you can get back to activities that's going to bring forward some revenues that have been halted, especially in the services sector. That's what Dan was mentioning. So I think it does change the outlook in terms of time frame for certain types of businesses. But what it doesn't do for our team is we still see the growth of GDP decelerating next year. And so while the party can last maybe a little bit more for the reopening and certain kind of stocks will be better here in the U.S., we actually prefer international stocks because they haven't seen that reopening yet and have to be really careful, I think, domestically to start adding some protection. It doesn't mean you have to do value trades. So we're actually not saying to buy financials, but I think you have to be a little bit careful, add some defensives, add some treasuries to your portfolio today. You know, Nadine, great point on the data. Another piece of data that actually came up was uh, Dr. Fauci on ABC. He said the last weekly average was 150,000 cases. It will much likely go higher. This is according to Dr. Fauci. So I don't know if we've quite reopened here. And speaking of data, Steve Grasso, you got some data. You actually also did some Googling that I don't think most of us have done. What's the right way to pronounce Omicron? I know you know. Does this change your investing it's, thesis it's, at all? It's, yeah, it's Omicron. Omicron? Well, I think... I think it's Omicron. So, so, and, and you know what? You hear, you hear it every day. It's pronounced uh, one way or the other, and right. no one cares, uh, you know, about the pronunciation. But I, but I think the, the problem is no one knows what the protocol is. No one knew what the protocol was before we started this show. And I will tell you that I'm going to have to Google search and see what the protocol is now going forward, even with that headline. So I think what the market is really anticipating, uh, and Nadine touched on this, the value complex. You don't have to be straight out buying you know, energy names or, just the, or financials, but I think she brought up a key point, international exposure. We've been so locked into domestic as the only safety bet. So I, I think come the change of the calendar, which we're approaching very quickly, you're going to see that value trade come on. What does that mean, Frank? I think it means you have to dip into chemical names, material names, and everything else. But FANG could still be strong. People use it as safety. People think that large cap tech is somehow a value trade. And you know what? So be it. Because the market cannot go higher with those six to eight, without those six to eight names. All right. A lot to chew on there, Steve. Big dog, I got to come to you. Um, what's going on? What are you seeing when it comes to the travel trade? You just celebrated a, celebrated a birthday yourself. Right. Did you travel? Are you back traveling? Oh, I'm traveling all the time. I have been actually, uh, literally over the last couple of years, I've traveled and I've felt comfortable about it. I've done every, all the different protocol that people want us to do. But I think this is interesting, Frank, because when you look at this, it almost seems as if the CDC is taking a page from some of the major sports franchises, right? I mean, uh, when you look at the NFL and what they've done, the NBA and what they're doing, and, it, and they've shortened this whole thing. I would, I would have expected, and I've been looking, 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 and I see some fractional, as you mentioned, in moves in terms of the airlines. And, and when I look over at casinos, which I think is another one of those areas where we've seen that reopen with Wynn and, and, and Las Vegas Sands and some of those names. But... I am not seeing a whole lot of movement right now. I mean, maybe we will. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of an aggressive move come tomorrow. But I would have expected to see a little bit more of a lift from the airlines and the cruise ships and the casinos and all those areas where we've basically been focusing on for part of that reopen trade. And I'm not seeing a lot of movement yet. And maybe it's just because it's so early and we're, we're trying to learn more and more about this and how this is going to function. But I think to the point of Nadine and what Steve was talking about, 
I think it's all about quality, quality names, whether they're in the tech world or in the semiconductor world or whatever. Quality does matter. And, and obviously, mm-hmm. if, if, if all you've got to do is look at today and look at what's really been struggling, what's struggling is those high multiple names, the names that really did so well, obviously, in the early days of the pandemic, but now have started to fizzle a little bit, whether you're looking at Peloton, DocuSite, those kinds of names. Right. So I think that's something as well. So there's a lot of different things, Frank, that we're going to be dissecting over the next couple of days. And this is something that we'll definitely be looking at over the next month or so to see what happens, obviously. We don't really know, and we're going to have to find out, obviously, literally live each and every day. Yeah, let's turn our attention back to those travel stocks. Right now, Delta Airlines, again, I'm not saying it's directly tied to the CDC news, but up about a half a percent in after hours trading. Um, When we're talking about travel stocks, is this the boost that they need? I know a lot of these airlines, they were struggling really to staff flights. We saw those cancellations over the weekend. Steve, I'm going to come back to you. Is this the Band-Aid that these airline stocks really need to get through this difficult time of these Omicron surges that a lot of experts believe will surge for a few weeks, maybe a month or so, and then decline? Yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, the people, well, put it this way. When, when we talked about this last week, uh, the, the uh, TSA was announcing numbers that were just as high as pre-COVID ever entering the scene. So December 2019 levels. That means people want to get back at it, to, to Pete's point. They want to travel. They want to they go see other different places. They want to vacation the way they want. But The knee-jerk reaction is is when you hear the CDC or the government saying, the federal government saying you can't travel or we're gonna restrict it, people back up. They sell the stocks first. But what we've seen is not what they say, but what they're doing. What they're doing is they're getting back out there and they're traveling. And if you look at the travel stocks, Frank, they all short-term peaked, they hit a trough and they bounce back 50% of the way. That's a huge technical point. So a lot of these names that haven't, you want to be buying those. A name that I am always pounding the table on that's gotten so beat up, Y-O-U. Mm-hmm. Clear Secure. If all of these travel names are popping, then Clear Secure should be popping as well. And it just hasn't. It's rather, don't get me wrong, it's rallied 20% off the bottom. But Y-O-U should be up another 30% from current levels. All right. Speaking of those travel stocks, Carnival Cruise Lines, it closed down a percent right now in after hours trading up fractionally. Dan Nathan, I saw you raise an eyebrow when Steve was over there talking. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I listen, I think there's going to be, again, fits and starts. And so if you think about airlines, you know, the ones that are more domestically focused, like JetBlue, that makes a lot more sense to me than some of the ones that are going to rely on kind of international and business travel. You know, Pete made a great point about that. The uh, It looks like the CDC now is taking, you know, their cues a little bit from the private sector, the NFL, the NBA, how they've dealt with some of these quarantine issues. I think it's really important to go back to remember at the start of the pandemic, It was the private sector that kind of let the way. The NBA shut down. Remember that day in March of 2020? And so I just think that it's going to be really difficult to kind of just draw a line and say when we're going to be back. Because I think no matter what the CDC says, I think there's a lot of companies that were expecting to have their employees back in the office. Let's say Jan 10, that was a big date. I think that's going to get pushed out. I still think a lot of schools are going to get pushed out. Here's the thing, whether it's five days or 10 days, there's still a lot of disruption if you have an outbreak. And that's the most important point. So I don't see near term this headline causing too much, uh, you know, like, 
you know, pull forward or people getting back out and doing some of the things that they were worried about doing a week or two ago. So cruises, they're still going to come back into port if they have an outbreak and they're going to kind of quarantine people. That's just going to be the way it is. So to me, I think it's going to be a very complicated case. Yeah, definitely complicated. I think Steve had a great point. I think after this headline, even with this information out here, a lot of us are going to have to Google it and figure it out again just to make sure we're all on the same page here. CDC new guidance vaccinated or not vaccinated you stay home for five days if you have no symptoms you can leave the house but you should still continue wearing a mask for five days all right a lot more fast money coming up christmas may be over but retail stocks they are staying in the holiday spirit so do you stick with this trade we're shopping for opportunity but first a record day on wall street the s p notching an all-time high another one so where do stocks head next the chart master joins us to break it all down don't not go anywhere there's a lot more fast money coming up right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Another record day on Wall Street. Stocks rallying to kick off the final trading week of the year. The S&P 500 closing at its highest level on record. And listen to this. Today marks what I'm going to call its Bill and Ted excellent record close. It's 69th this year. The last time that happened, 1995. And with just four trading days left in 2021, the chart master himself, he sees even more gains ahead. Let's get over to Carter Worth of Worth Charting for the year-end setup. Carter, happy holidays. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you, and great to catch up earlier on the phone. Let's look at a statistic or two, a chart or two, and try to figure it out. So on your screen, you're going to see a table. And what this is, is it removes everyone's opinion, right? What you're going to see is what are the numbers around year-end last week performance. So if you look at every single week, every calendar week, 1928 to present, that's some 4,800 weeks, the average of return is basically 14 half basis points. But the last calendar week of the year, it's 50 a three and a half X performance. Also, the odds of being up are, are basically 10 percentage points higher. So on any given week, any given week, you're up 56% of the time. The last calendar week, you're up 66. So that's important. And I think people play that. In terms of the chart, um, and this is all very here and now, the question is how much more? We're only talking about four sessions. We've already done today more than the average of the last calendar week. So I've drawn the internal trend line. And if and as we were to get there, that's about 4802 to 4805, not much more. But my hunches will close right around there when Friday is said and done. So the real question, and let's look at then tech. I mean, this is the driver behind so much of the market. And so this is the tech sector, the Spider XLK, the sector ETF. And 
If you didn't know what it was, you'd say that's up and to the right, north by northeast, steady as she goes, higher ever higher with nice givebacks. That's all it is, it's a 45 degree angle. But importantly, last chart, look at the two panel chart. This is the same chart on top, but on the bottom is relative performance to the S&P. And so all the while for the past 12 months, as it was going higher, tech, it wasn't doing anything relative to the S&P. And only in the last three to five, three to six weeks have we broken out in a definitive way. Uh, there is no thinking that tech is extended relative to the market. Um, stay long, be long tech. Value, don't like it. Carter, masterful charts as always. We appreciate it. Guys, what are we doing here? Are we going to buy this momentum that Carter's laying out? We know it's the season of giving. It also seems to be the season of rising support levels. I'm going to go over to you, Nadine. What are you seeing when you see all these technical analysis from Carter? I would trim that tree. <laughs> so when I look at the XLK, I agree with Carter. Maybe you've got another 1% upside there. But I see it with potential 6% downside if you're looking at our internal trading ranges. So it's at 176 for the price, but our trading range is 165 to 178. So it's pretty darn close, 176 to that 178 top. That's, if it goes above the 178, then I'd start trimming more. And if you also look at the options market, it's now a 24% implied volatility discount. What does that mean? So that people are really complacent right now versus a month ago, the premium was almost 80%. So people were going crazy. They were throwing out tech. Remember that? That was the time to buy tech. So yeah, do I think you could eke out a little bit more of your tech today? Sure. And do I want to own it in 2022? Sure. But is this the time to go loading up? No, this is the time to trim that tree. Wow. Pete. Nadine just pulled her pickup truck to your front yard, man. She's in your warehouse with the options. <laughs> what are you seeing right now? Are you buying the momentum, whether it's in equities or options? Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm seeing, which is really interesting, and it's not necessarily against what Nadine's talking about because everything that we saw today, for instance, Frank, was extremely short-term. Now, we had monstrous call buying in everything from NVIDIA to Microsoft. You look at Facebook. You look at all these other AMD and we had monstrous paper, and I mean 20,000, 29,000, 30,000 contracts. So, but all of them expire at the, on Friday, on, on the 31st. So they're not looking long-term. That's very, very short-term, more so even than normal. Uh, you know, normally we'd see at least a little bit of something going a little bit further out in time. These are one-week trades. But I, I tell you what, I think you can ride it for this week and then reassess when you get and trim and or take off at the end of this week. But I'll tell you, the volumes actually did pick up just a little bit today, but it, the volumes have come out, volatility has come out, and it's giving you an opportunity at lower implied volatilities to be able to try to ride a little bit more for the rest of whatever's left for this calendar year of 2021. We'll so, see. It's going to be really interesting. Steve, lower implied volatility, yeah. S&P 69th record close of the year. Anybody trying to sell? Yeah, the problem is this year more than any other year, I would think that people are really doing this markup or markdown, however you want to put it in whatever sector that you have into the new year. No one wants to sell any tech because they want a full year of getting, uh, you know, their, of having to pay their taxes on it. So I think the first couple of weeks of January will be more telling than any other year. And when you look at the XLK, the ETF for technology, it's 45% of it is Apple and Microsoft. So you have a handful of names dictating direction. 
what would you do with that is, yeah, sure, you can, you know, Nadine could pull up or pick up a truck and trim that tree and do, do what she wants. And I think that she'd be right and accurate in doing so. And I think you're going to see the yield curve steepen, even, even uh, you know, absolute numbers might not be crazy, but on, a, uh, but on a relative basis, it will. And that will give value someday, sometime in the sun, if you will. So, Dana, I kind of let everybody else take it where they want to take it. I'm going to come back to the travel stocks with you right now. Are you a buyer? Now, we've been looking at these airline stocks, looking at like American Delta. They're up fractionally. But if you look at Alaska Airlines, a more domestic focused carrier, up a percent and a half right now. So is that a sign yeah, to so, you that, that people are catching on to this? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, you know, we had low volumes today in the regular session, Frank. So I'm not going to put a lot of stock in what's going on in the aftermarket here. I think the trend very simply is that people want to buy these things and there's found some support. I think Steve, you know, identified some when we were talking about this earlier. Just you look at United. I mean, it's bounced off of 39. Go back, you know, back to February where it bottomed out and had a massive run. Well, it's found some support twice there in the last couple of months. JetBlue down in that $14 level. So that looks interesting to me. I think it's important to look at the move that Expedia had last week. I mean, my goodness, that thing just broke out. So, uh, you know, or, or it feels like it wants to break out after a huge, huge move. I think those are the places that you're going to want to be, that you're going to want to see some rotation. But going back to the XLK, Steve made a really important point. Two stocks make up 45% of the weight of that ETF here. It's Microsoft and Apple, and they're up 35 and 55% respectively on the year, each gaining a trillion dollars in market cap. Broaden that out to the S&P 500. I read this from Goldman this morning. Five stocks, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Google, Alphabet, they contributed 51% of the S&P 500's returns since April. Those five stocks alone. Here's a stat from J.P. Morgan Asset Management. This speaks to valuation. The trailing price-to-earnings ratio of the S&P 500's top 10 constituents, those five are obviously in there, in November was 68% above their 25-year average okay and so just think about that the rest of the stocks are only 28 percent above their average so those top 10 not only have they massively outperformed not only have they ate the indices in which they are in but the valuations are getting very stressed on a historical basis the higher they go into year end and carter's probably right is the lower they probably go at some point in january early february well we're just getting started here on fast money here's what's coming up next a retail report Consumers shaking off higher prices and giving retailers a nice gift this holiday season. We've got the trade next. Plus, grab your glove. We've got a fast pitch coming your way. Our own Steve Grasso is throwing the heat on a name he says is a total home run investment. You're watching Fast Money. We're back right after this. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. 
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It was a Merry Christmas for retail. New data from MasterCard showing holiday sales rose at the fastest pace in 17 years. Senior retail reporter Courtney Reagan is here to walk us through those numbers. Hey, Court. Hi there, Frank. So even facing supply chain related stockouts, inflation and a new COVID variant spread, Americans shopped till they dropped. Holiday sales grew eight and a half percent over last year. That's in store and online across all forms of payment from November 1st to Christmas Eve, according to MasterCard's spending pulse. Shoppers returned to stores and kept those online shopping habits. On top of 2020's e-commerce surge, we saw an increase. In-store sales grew more than 8% over last year. E-commerce up over 11% from 2020, 61% from 2019. Online sales ultimately making up almost 21% of total retail sales. That's up from 20.6% in 2020 and 14.6% in 2019. Department store sales grew 21% according to the report. Shares of Macy's, Dillard's, and Nordstrom up between 2 and 3% today, though no word yet from the retailers officially about the season. Apparel sales overall up more than 47%. Investors placing bets that Ralph Lauren, Lulu Lemon and American Eagle were among the beneficiaries. Shares of Ralph Lauren higher by more than 4%. Lululemon up 2.7%. American Eagle up 3.5% today. And sales of electronics up more than 16%. According to MasterCard's holiday sales report, shares of Apple up more than 2%. Best Buy higher too, but just by about 1%. Walmart, Target, Amazon also likely big sellers of consumer electronics to shoppers during the holiday season, which by the way still has a very big week this week potentially as retailers try to capture exchanges rather than returns and entice shoppers to spend those gift cards. Frank, you might know, of course, that the revenue can't be recognized for gift cards until it's actually used. Yeah, I plan to use mine right away, Courtney. I lose mine all the time. Courtney Reagan, thank you. Great report. (laughs) All right, let's talk a little bit more about where retail is headed in 2022. Joining us now is Jerry Storch, Storch Advisor CEO and former Toys R Us CEO. Jerry, happy holidays. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Listen, I was a Toys R Us kid, so I'm very appreciative of all your work. (laughs) Uh, Let's get down to it. I think you you were probably hearing Courtney just talk right now. In-store sales up 8%, e-commerce up 11%. Sounds like an all-around win for retailers. Was this holiday season as good as the numbers make it seem? I think the season was good. We've been saying all along it was going to be good. The consumers have money, and history shows one thing. When consumers have money, they spend it, and they did. The one caveat I would have to this whole story is that with total, if, if you take the MasterCard numbers at their face value of a noodle in this all day, up 8.5% 8, 8. for November, December to, uh, combined, we already know, you know, the, the old data is that November was up high double digits, maybe 16, 17%. So what does that say about December? It probably wasn't up very much. So when we get those, that data out in January, it may not be as good as people think for December alone. Some of that is sales that were pulled forward into October and November. And some of it was, especially the last week or two leading up to Christmas, we had all this noise about Omicron. And I think some consumers did stay away during that period. I don't think it's a long-term disease for the consumer, if you excuse the pun. I think it's a, you know, I think it'll be short-lived. If uh, Omicron is short-lived, then I think consumers are coming back. They have the money, they're going to spend it. Jerry, I have a question for you, and I'm in agreement with a lot of things you're talking about here. What are your thoughts around margins? Are we at peak margins right now? It seems that there's been a catch-up purchases by consumers. You know, online typically is dilutive for most retailers, and the supply chain disruption made that a lot of people actually purchased a lot of inventory, which is going to have to get unwound. And so maybe it benefits TJX, but how do you think about retailers and margins going into 2022? 
Well, I have to tell you, but it depends. You know, I think in apparel, we may be near peak margins. Keep in mind, a lot of retailers didn't buy very much for last holiday season. So a lot of what they have was fresh inventory this year. And if it doesn't sell through, they're going to have to clear it when you get to January, February. So you might see a different picture the next year. You know, every merchant, when they, when they get into a, a new position, the first thing they do is mark everything down. And then they look great the first year. The second year, not so good. So in a way, all the apparel retailers, all the department stores may look that way this year, where they have a lot of fresh merchandise coming out of the pandemic. Now, as you get a year later and two years later, that stuff gets a little long in the tooth. Meanwhile, there's pressure on margins from supply chain, which some retailers have abated through very expensive means, like chartering ships or air freighting goods. They probably aren't going to have to do that as much next year. Even though I don't think the supply chain's totally fixed, we have quite a while to fix it because we're past peak now. Volumes are down going to January, February, March. There'll be some time to get things under control in supply chain. So I think that will go the other way. Meanwhile, every retailer I know would be malpractice not to is raising their prices like mad. <laughs> and so that will also contribute to their margins going up, not down. And the smart thing to do if you're a retailer, raise your price in anticipation of your costs. So far, they've been chasing it. They're going to do it the other way now. Everyone's going to raise their prices past where their costs are. So margins will be, be pushed up by that. So it depends on the category. I watch apparel very, very closely, though. Jerry, take it easy. Let me do my returns first, then they can raise their prices, if you don't mind. Okay. On a serious note, uh, Courtney has some great data in that last report on the stickiness of e-commerce. She said this holiday season, it was just under 21% for the second straight year. Are we going to see declines in e-commerce in the future? And again, hit, hitting Nadine's point, what does that mean for margins? Because obviously e-commerce is a lot more expensive to fulfill and the returns seem to be really killing retailers. So not a chance we're going to see a decline in e-commerce. It continues to capture share. Some people thought this was the quarter. Bricks and mortar might get back share. No way, no how. You know, Amazon continues to gobble, gobble share. All the uh, bricks and mortar retailers, whether they're all channel or omnichannel models, are doing the same thing, shifting their, their balance towards e-commerce. That's going to keep growing. That's a mega trend. It's not going to change. You're right, though. Depending upon the average ticket, right? So a low average ticket store, e-commerce erodes the margins. A high average ticket store doesn't make much difference. So if you're Saks or Neiman's or someone like that, you're shipping out things that cost you know, $500 and you got a couple hundred dollars in the margin pool, doesn't matter how you fulfill it. That's irrelevant for the overall margin picture. But if you're Kohl's, for example, it's a pretty expensive way to do business, you know, selling one, one piece of low price clothing at a time over the internet with the extreme cost of fulfillment. So there you do degrade your margins. There's no, if, no way around it. It's going to happen. Meanwhile, you have to figure out how to fix it. And that involves, you know, having products with higher margin, having great building the ticket up, building your average price, building the average items per transaction. You have to view that as a new parable or, or challenge for the ages if you want to be a winner in the future. All right, Jerry Storch, great insight. We appreciate it. Let's turn back to our panel. Pete, kick it off with you. Let's trade this. How are you going to do it? <laughs> well, I think there are so many companies that are doing extremely well. One of, matter of fact, one of Jerry's old companies, Target, has been absolutely fantastic. And they've actually done both sides of it. They've done a great job, I think, with the digital side of things and the online and the growth that they've had there. But also, when people go back into those stores, which they are still doing, when they go back into those stores, they got the higher margin items that people are going get, to get attracted to. So I think that's helping balance this out, at least to some degree, because originally, as you guys all remember, essentials were what everybody went there for, right? They were going there for the cleaner and the, and the groceries and all those kinds of things. But they weren't, if they were willing to go there. They weren't going back into that back area with apparels and jewelry and all that. Now they are. So I think that's really working in the benefit of 
Target and Costco and, Mar- and you know, all those types of stores. I think that's going to be really great going forward. I think, I think the growth that these companies have made through online is just absolutely extraordinary, and they will figure out ways to get those margins back up. I guarantee you that. They're not, they are not fools, and they don't want to see it slip too much further than it already has. So they'd like to get those margins back up. They'll figure out a way to do it. Dan? Yeah, you know, Nadine just mentioned the discounting in the apparel space, and I think that TJ Maxx in particular is a really interesting one. It's really massively underperformed the XRT, the ETF that tracks the retail space here, and it's been really volatile. If you look at the chart, it's just moving all over the place. It's only up about 8% of the year. If we get back to a period where people feel very comfortable about browsing in retail stores for apparel again, TJ should do really well, I think, and on a valuation basis, looks kind of reasonable, especially versus some of these uh, department store stocks that have just taken off this year. Yeah, apparel sales up 47% year over year, up 29% over 2019, so people buying a lot more clothes. All right, coming up, a lockdown crackdown. Investors slamming the brakes on Didi following reports the company's blocking employees from selling their shares. We've got all the details coming up next. But first, get ready for a fast pitch. Our own Steve Grasso is taking the mound. Throw a little bit of that heat on a chemical company he says is ready to surge. We're going to give you that name when Fast Money returns. And welcome back to Fast Money. As we start to close the books on 2021, Steve Grasso is looking into next year. He says this chemical stock is a rock-solid bet, and he's taking the mound for fast pitch. Steve, take it away. So first of all, you have to have the caveat that value has to come back into vogue. And I do think that's what's going to happen. You're going to see a lot of international exposure. The the stock is Dow, D-O-W, Dow Inc. And for a number of reasons, right? We give you three bullets. The number one, it's trading at its lowest valuation in, in history on a percentage of free cash flow yield, EV to EBITDA on straight out price to earnings ratio. So if you take that aside, Then let's move on from there. When funds add, if they have to add international cyclical global exposure, this is the one they're going to go for. Why? Because it's large cap and it's very liquid. You want to be able to get in and out of stocks, Frank. Third, the dividend. The dividend has proven to be rock solid during the most hectic and the most frantic and the scariest of COVID 2020 uh, weeks and months. It's been rock solid. And another thing, based on this dividend yield, around 5% has proven to be supportive in the stock. And we're smack there right now. All right, Pete, you got a question for Steve. Sure. Steve, are you concerned at all about the debt that they've got? I'm not saying that you have to be. I'm just curious what you think. I think it's something north of about $16 billion. Does that concern you at all? So, yes, uh, that does, Pete. Uh, very very uh, good point. And also, there has been some concerns over margins over one of their businesses, business lines or chemical lines. Those seem to be in their, I shouldn't say the, the debt is not in the rearview window yet, but the fact that they have exposure to U.S. nat gas ver- versus European companies and Asian companies that have a much higher input cost, means that they should actually be bottoming first and all of their all of their uh, portfolio of names and chemicals should actually be bouncing so that should uh, cure if you will their debt issues 
All right, Steve, putting his money where his mouth is on that value trade. All right, no more questions. Polls are closed. Time to vote. Are you buying Steve's pitch on Dow Inc.? Nadine, ladies first. All right. Well, I'm going to give it to him here. I would say, you know, you want to own dividends in 2022. So you get the D and the O, dividends you want to own. But the W is for wait. So I'm with oh. him, but I want to wait till this gets to around 53 bucks. <laughs> Because right now it's about 12% implied volatility premium. So people are still a little bit concerned, but it's come down a lot over the last month. And it's got about maybe 2% upside to 4.5% downside. So I'd love to pick it up cheaper. So I want the value value trade of 53. Wow, Nadine using different ink too. Right now Dow trading at $56. Uh, Pete, over to you. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give this the uh, Nolan Ryan. Really nicely done, Steve. I think you, you explained everything very, very well. That's an awesome fast pitch. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm buying it, and I, I, like what you, I like what you're telling here. I tell you what, 5% dividend yield, if I can sell options against that as well, I can enhance that. That's the kind of stock I like. I like it, Steve. All right, Pete saying it's a bombasso. Dan. Yeah, listen, I'm not a buyer, but that's not because I didn't like the pitch. I think that was a great fundamental pitch, and I mean that very seriously. But I want to say one thing. I've been doing this with Steve for a very long time. When he's pitching a stock that's trading well, which this stock is not, he always points to the chart, okay? Always points to the chart. I think Nadine's levels near term makes sense, 52.53. Look at a five-year chart. This stock is in a downtrend. It's broken below a breakout level from a couple years ago. It looks like some real resistance here. I think lower before higher. I like the fundamental call. But, Steve, where was the technical call, man? You always put these in your power pitch. <laughs> man, Dan Nathan basically <laughs> The technical call was on the... The technical call was on the yield, but I hear you. I should have told you what level. The level is to buy here, and I think it goes to $70, which was past resistance. All right, Dan Nathan saying he gone. It's a little shout-out to my friends who are Sox fans <laughs> on the south side of Chicago. All right, the desk has spoken. Now it's your turn. Are you buying Steve's fast pitch on Dow? Head over to our Twitter poll and vote at CNBC Fast Money. We're going to bring you those results later on in the show. All right, coming up, shares of Didi heading south today and reports the China-based ride-hailing company is blocking its employees from selling their shares. We're going to bring you the details when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Chinese ride-hailing company Didi hitting the skids today. Let's get over to Christina Partsonavellas with much more in the big drop. Hey there, Christina. Hi, Frank. Looks like Didi's... Early investors won't be able to cash out anytime soon. China's largest ride-sharing app, Didi, blocked all pre-IPO investors from cashing out despite the 180-day lockup period. The news said shares down over 5% today. So employees, families, and friends are locked in. But outside firms like Uber, which owns almost 12% of the company, can opt to cash out. Uber is the second largest investor after SoftBank. Didi has already lost over 62% of its stock value since its IPO in June after Chinese authorities launched an investigation into Didi's data security practices. And you also have the United States ordering foreign firms to open their books to auditors, pushing Didi to delist from the New York Stock Exchange and pursue a listing in Hong Kong. I reached out to the company. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't get back to me in time for this hit. And the regulatory hurdles continue weighing on Chinese listed firms like Alibaba, Billy Billy, Pinduoduo. Over the weekend, Chinese regulators released proposed rules for domestic firms if they want to list overseas. So that means a listing 
could be stopped completely if deemed a threat to national security, which doesn't bode well for the entire sector, especially if you're an investor in a Chinese-listed firm here in the United States. Frank? Christina, appreciate it. All right, let's trade it. Nadine, I'm going to go over to you. I know you're big on international stocks. Is this one of the stocks that's on your radar? You know, we're not investors in DD, but we do invest in China. Um, you know, it's been tough for them. They're unable to sign up new users. The China's regulator ordered app stores to remove 25 of other apps, including those that register new drivers. So with all of that going on and then, you know, basically making some investors illiquid, this is not the kind of name that, that I would touch. But if you look at the KBA, which, of course, includes a bunch of names that have been difficult to trade in the tech space, you know, it's at 47.40, like when, when I um, had looked at it today. Our trading range is 45.70 to 48.50, so about 2.3% upside to about 3.6% downside, but a huge implied volatility premium. So people are paying up a ton for protection. They're really worried. If you can move from neutral to bullish short term and pick this up 45 or lower, I would go into KBA. I think that things are bottoming out. And this is the one economy that's actually going to have the growth of GDP accelerate in 2022 versus many countries like the U.S. It'll be decelerating. So you do want to pick it up, but just at the right price. Dan, over to you. Trade it. Are you into this? Well, it's funny, you know, Frank, if you look at the holders of this, and, and obviously we just saw, you know, Uber's a huge one, SoftBank, but it's a who's who of U.S. hedge funds, very smart hedge funds. I mean, maybe they're doing us a favor for those holders who own this thing at $14 on the IPO with the stock down here at 530 because, you know, the onslaught of regulatory action that we've seen against Chinese, uh, the regulators against their own, you know, tech champions, if you want to call them that, uh, they don't seem like champions right now, they seem like goats, um, it really has to to come to an end sooner or later. They're just destroying a lot of value. We know that they're very focused um, you know, on shareholder value in their own country. Sooner or later, they're going to be viewed as just a not uh, you know, just a not honest broker as it relates to listings here in the U.S. And maybe they're all going over there. But at some point, these things are going to have to have a dead cap balance. This one in particular seems like it's probably prime for that move. Let's stick with Asia just for a minute. Wall Street sees massive upside for tech giant Grab after a bit of a disappointing debut. You can read all about it right now on our website. Just head to CNBC.com slash pro. All right, coming up, GoDaddy jumping in today's session, and that has options traders piling in. We're going to tell you how they're playing this one. And there's still a lot more time to vote for Steve's fast pitch on Dow. Just head over to our Twitter poll and vote at CNBC Fast Money. The results are coming up in just a few minutes. Fast Money, back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Coming up at the top of the hour, a CNBC special, Your Money 2022. We're breaking out our crystal ball. We're going to see what's in store for your money coming up in the new year. And it's all coming up next right here on CNBC. Wilford Frost hosting. Meanwhile, check out shares of GoDaddy soaring today on news that activist investor Starboard Value took a 6.5% stake in the web services company. Starboard bought more than $800 million worth of GoDaddy stock, making it the firm's largest holding. And that news has started a bit of a fire in the options market, where traders are betting today that that rally has some legs on it. Mike Coe joins us now to break down all the action. Happy holidays, Mike. Hi there, Frank. Yeah, so GoDaddy traded more than six times its average daily call volume today. That despite the fact that overall the options market's volumes were actually pretty light. The most active opening activity that was taking place there was the January 85 strike calls, 
We saw buyers of those spending a little over $1.90 a contract. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that this recent spike could continue through the third week of January, and they're looking for prices above $87 a share. Mike, really appreciate it. Pete, I'm going to toss it over to you. $191 for that option. Were you a buyer there? Is that a good price? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, Frank. I think the reality is the volume is still low, as, as Mike pointed out. I mean, when, we, when, I, when we're looking at unusual option activity, oftentimes we're looking for huge volumes. And this isn't in the category of huge volumes. But as far as risk reward, I'd much rather be in the options right now after this huge move that we saw today out of the stock on this news than I would be in the stock because potentially the stock could fall back back to where it came from fairly rapidly after this news settles in and all the rest of it. So I'd rather be in the options, but I'd rather see a lot more volume than we're seeing right now. So I'm not as intrigued as I normally would be. Dan Starboard taking out a, a big stake there, $800 million worth of stock. Yeah, I think that it's important to follow activists like this. They've obviously had a very good track record. They focus on a lot of different tech names here. I would say take a look at Squarespace, too. This is a company that recently went public uh, in a similar space, if you will, um, and not doing particularly well either. So there might be something about the fundamentals that's going on. Maybe it's a little creator economy. Maybe the ENS domain name .eth, maybe that thing's catching on the way people are creating new content or new businesses, that sort of thing. Who knows? But these stocks don't act particularly well. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more options. Oh, I'm sorry, four more options action. I'm jumping the gun here. Be sure to be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We're not doing it now. We're doing it on Friday, of course. All right, last call to vote in our Twitter poll. Are you buying Steve Grasso's fast pitch on Dow? Head to Twitter and let us know your results and your final trades. They're coming up next right here on Fast Money. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Time to get down to it. It's time to find out if, if you and all people at home, you were buying Steve Grasso's fast pitch on Dow. Numbers just coming in, Steve. They're just tallying up right now. We're, we're, it's, it's going. We look up. There we go. It looks like they were. 52% of voters were buying Steve's pitch. It's a bombasso. Steve, I was never rooting against you, but I kind of wanted to say, he gone. But I was never rooting against you. Great pitch. All right, it's time now for a final trade. Let's go around the horn. Steve, after this big victory, we're going to go to you first. Yeah, it'd be weird if I didn't say D-O-W for my, uh, for my final <laughs> trade, Frank. And, and I'm very appreciative of Dan going on Twitter and voting for it anyway. <laughs> Nadine? Dan, the U.S. dollar through the UUP ETF. The dollar's come down from its highs, but buy below 25.70. Big dog. I'm going to give you NVIDIA. We had monstrous buying today at the 310 strike and 320 strike in December. 29,000, 25,000. Giddy up. This thing's going higher. Dan, you got the final word. Wait, how am I not big dog, Frank? Hey, listen. Several reasons, Jack, We'll talk about it later. I like where you were going with the travel trade. I think you want the domestic airlines. This thing's down 33% from its highs this year. It's flat on the year. So turn the page on the calendar. I like Jeff. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you for everything, all the insight on all the stocks, and thank all of you for watching Fast Money, a CNBC special, Your Money 2022, with Wilford Frost. Starts right now.
People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.